1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
2: And he's going to ram one out deep to left center. 374 mark and see you later. 4-0 Nats on two home runs. He's going to hit this one way out to center. See
3: you later. Oh, my He just hit his eighth home run, his second of the night. It's his fourth hit of the night.
0: Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Joe Ostrowski, Barry Rosner with you for another hour and 40 minutes, something along those lines, taking you up to Cubs baseball right here. On your radio home of the Chicago Cubs. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call one 877 cars for kids Hope to hear from Mike Rizzo any moment now. Uh, while we wait, Joe, uh, Albert Almora is leading the National League in hitting. He's
3: tied for the lead now again. Like, you know, yeah. I know at one point during the game, he had sole possession uh, of the you NL know, batting lead and now he is tied with uh, Scooter Jeanette of the Reds. So yes, he is tied, and he was one of those guys that had a great approach, just like everybody that was at the plate yesterday for the Cubs, and he is hitting 332. Now that he's tied, can, can we just completely shut down the notion that we keep hearing about what he does against right-handed hitting? And maybe you could make the argument that Joe Madden is putting him in the right position to succeed, or in a perfect position to succeed. But looking at his splits this year against lefties, he is hitting three thirty-three, and against righties, he is hitting three thirty-one. The same. Um, his uh, his slugging because that's the power that's been the argument against lefties. He's slugging four seventy-eight against righties, four fifty-three. Pretty close. So his OPS against lefties 855 and against lefties 819. And we talked about it a lot in the offseason. We talked about it last year, and we've talked about it this year. You're not going to get better against righties unless you get opportunities against righties. And are we at the point? Like, you look at his game log, and he usually ends up sitting, or not starting at least, uh, one game a series. Are we now at the point we know about the log jam where Albert Almora? should be one of those guys just locked in every single day. Yeah, well, you know my feeling on that. I mean, I but is there even an argument on the other side at this point? You're you're leading the NL and hitting. Where, I know it's old school, but I mean, come on, what else do you need? I... He's showing
0: that at the midway point in the season, he hits the other side just as well. I guess I'm the wrong guy to ask because I didn't really even understand the argument before. Yeah. Because if you were going to get a guy who could play every day, then he's gonna to have to get an opportunity to face righties so that he can prove that he can hit righties, right? And if you don't if you don't get a consistent opportunity, if you don't do it every single day, how are you ever gonna to learn to have the correct approach right. against right handers, right? So I, I didn't understand it before, so I don't know how to make the argument on the other side now. I don't know how to give I don't know how to make the case for or or to explain to you whether there still is a case, because I didn't get it before. Okay. I really did I really didn't. I see him the same way I saw Javi Baez two years ago going into the postseason. You need his defense on the field every day in a postseason series. Every single day. Mm-hmm. You should not be messing with that. Russell and Baez, Russell and Baez, Russell and Baez. Feel the same way about El Mora up the middle in center field. I don't I I just don't think you can risk Anything? I mean, what? What are you? What else are you going to? do? You put Ian Happ in center? No, thanks. In a playoff game? No, thank you. You going to put Hayward in center and put who in right? Well, we're also at a point. I, mean, I just, I that, I like I said, I feel the same way. Trying to make this case as I did trying to make the case for Baez in September of 2016. I just don't see how you can go into a postseason series and do that to your pitchers. You have to put your best defensive team out
3: there. Joe's going to do what he needs to do to get through a regular season, and yeah. they're, they're in a long stretch of games right now. Coming out of the break, they're going to be in a long stretch of games. That's going to continue, so he's going to sit guys and make sure guys are fresh. But with what Hayward is doing right now, the same argument can be made, and you want him and Almora playing next to each other in the outfield too. I certainly expect that to be the case in the playoffs, especially if Hayward's offense is, Continues to show, but but now you're talking probably two positions that are set every single day, or should be set in the playoffs every single day.
0: I I don't know what the case is on the other side. Yeah, I mean, what, it, what well, is it? I, I'm just saying, how are you going to get playing
3: time for Zobrist, Hap, and Schwarber, all of them? That's that's where we're at. It's a great problem to have. It's wonderful. And there's there's going to be injuries in the second half. We understand that. And Joe wants to give guys some time off. But uh it's gonna be interesting how he handles it. But Elmora is doing
0: everything right. Everything right. I um I, I would hope that this is not uh a conversation that we're gonna to have to have again, like once it's the middle of September, but I can't uh, I can't guarantee you that it's not going to come up again. But now the
3: argument is proper rest, right? It's not about lack of power against one side. It's going to be about proper rest.
0: Joe, we'll get back to it in just a moment. Right now, it's time to go out to the score hotline where we're joined by Washington Nationals GM Mike Rizzo. He's a Chicago guy who's made it very big in the business. He's... Done a heck of a job in Washington after doing a really good job in Arizona building that team. He's with us now on Hit and Run. Good morning, Riz. How's everything with you? Good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing great. Uh, Mike, uh, your trade for Herrera sort of uh, jumping the market was kind of a surprise to a lot of people. What made you move so early and how important is he to your bullpen?
4: Well we you know, we saw you know, we often go into uh you know, into the trade deadline season, uh, you know, a little bit later, but you know, we recognized what our what our thought process was and what our what our needs were. Uh and we thought that uh you know, we identified the you know, kind of the perfect uh the perfect type of, of picture that we wanted to uh, to go after. Uh Calvin was out there out there and uh we were able to make a deal with Kansas City that you know, that worked for them. Uh, and work for us. They got three good young players, uh, you know, distance away from the big leagues and you know, we've got a uh, we've got a proven, you know, elite back end of the back end of the bullpen type of pitcher to you know trying to uh, try and achieve our goals this year.
3: And Mike, there are some big names out there including now starting pitchers it's pretty interesting. The divide is set pretty early. We're still a month away from the trade deadline, but there are a lot of teams that are going to be involved selling, no matter what. Do you think it's going to be a little bit different this year, in the next year, and next
4: month? I think it's going to be active. I think there's uh, you know there's a, a bunch of teams that still are uh still are very very active and very much in the race. And I think there's going to be you know looking for some teams that are going to look to uh, to enhance their chances. So I think it's going to be an active trade market, and I think it's going to be exciting to watch.
0: Riz, the, uh, the Mets may or may not be uh, open to just about anything at this point. There's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of talk, and obviously you're not going to speak of another team. But if, if there were some suddenly some huge arms available, um, how does that change the market the way that it, it, that it stood just a week ago when, when a team like the Mets didn't seem to be part of this thing?
4: Well, you're talking about uh, you know a couple of the most the, the more elite starting pitchers uh, in, in the game. They're uh, they're talented. They're they're you know uh, front line starters. We face them way too much, and uh, I we know them very very well. they're very talented uh, elite starting pitchers that uh, you know make any staff better. They're front front of the rotation guys, and. Uh, and you know, I'm not sure what direction the Mets are going into but uh, these guys are uh, as good as it gets as far as uh, as far as starting pitching with uh, with the Grom and Syndergaard. and uh, you know their their price tag won't come cheap but they're uh, they're the type of players that move the needle and uh, it makes it makes you a contender
3: what Juan Soto has done you don't really see this anymore uh locally we've watched the the Cubs go through their rebuild and now the White Sox are in the year 2 of their rebuild and both teams taking their time with their young players, and Soto just skyrocketed through their through your system. Once you called him up, what were your expectations?
4: Well, we, you know, we thought we knew what we had with with the player. We thought he was, uh, you know, kind of mature beyond his years. He had a he had a major league approach, uh, you know, e- even in even in A ball this year. I uh, uh, I've seen him play several times this, this spring training and during the season, and uh, you know, we knew he had a. Uh, a keen sense of the of the strike zone. Very rarely went out of the zone. Had a great two-strike approach and and really uh, approached things uh, as a seasoned major leaguer. So you know we thought he was going to have some growing pains uh, at the big league level with uh, with other facets of his game. And and don't forget, you know we we brought him up with uh, eight games above the A, a ball level uh, to the big leagues, and not only was he uh, Learning the league and and you know trying to hold his own uh, offensively at the big league level, uh, we threw him in a different position that he's never played in his life. So uh, we threw him in left field; he's never played there before. So he's learning left field, which is a difficult uh, one of the more difficult outfield positions uh, to to learn on the fly. Also, learn how to hit at the big league level at 19 years old. So he, he's a special uh, he's a special uh, player. He's got a he's got a, a great baseball IQ. One of the, one of the most uh, one of the smartest baseball players that I've been uh, I've been around, and uh, just has a has a great calmness about him, and, and a, just a supreme makeup that allows him to utilize those talents at at at, at this level. You know, uh, we often talk about the uh, the second deck syndrome, and uh, and he is he is uh, certainly proven that uh, he can handle you know any any situations, and uh, you know the bigger the situations, the better he likes it. You know. Forty-five thousand people at Yankee Stadium, and he put on a show there. So, you know, he's uh, he, he knows his game. He knows what he does well, and he knows what he has to work on. And that's the, the best part of, of what he does. He's he's always picking veterans' brains and, and trying to get better.
0: Visiting with Washington Nationals general manager Mike Rizzo, and Riz, over the last fifteen years, if you you go back to your Arizona days, I don't know that anybody's had a better track record uh, drafting players and finding international free agents. Uh, Maybe there are some as good. I don't know that anybody's been better. As a general philosophy, when you're looking at such young people, how do you go about finding these guys, and how much does character play a role as much as metrics and, and the eye test and anything else in what you do when you're finding these guys?
4: Well, I think, I think the secret to, uh, to what we've done at a, at a couple of places I've been is, uh, is you, uh, you surround yourself with people that know more and are, are smarter than you are. And uh, we've, I've certainly done that in my, in my Arizona days and here in Washington. You know, the, the guys who grind it out at the grassroots level, be it in the international market or, or in the domestic market, are, are, are the guys that give you all the information. You know, I, I may pull the trigger on on the signings and the trades and the in and the in the, the draft and that type of thing, but I'm gathering information from the guys on, on the ground, and uh, and I, I think the biggest key is to hire good people and, and trust them and let them do their job because because uh, it's uh, it's hard it's hard to uh, to navigate all the different worlds of baseball that uh, you know that a president uh, slash general manager of an organization has. Uh, and you really have to delegate and trust the people that uh, that are are surrounding you, and uh, and hire guys that uh, know more than you, and that are better than you, and smarter than you. And I and I think we've accomplished that.
3: What do you think about some of the trends that we're seeing in the game right now? Uh, something Joe Madden has pushed up back against is uh, the the hype of launch angle, and and now you're seeing some say, oh, well, other teams should try what the Rays are doing with the openers. Uh, what do you think about all that?
4: Hey, I like I like uh, 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 clever uh, clever thinking and thinking outside the box is is great and and you know we're uh, we're not adverse to to trying new things and uh, I, I think that a lot of that stuff is is built on necessity and uh, and you know we uh, we like the rotation that we have we put together a, a great rotation here one of the best in baseball so we don't need to to be that creative on on the starting pitching end of it uh, but there's the other things that uh, that go into it we you know. We've we've not only embraced the old school, you know, eye sc- of the scout type of type evaluation, but we uh, we have a great analytics department, that, and and the marrying the marriage of those two those two different uh, mindsets is, uh, I think, what sets you know the good teams apart. There's uh, there's a lot of ways to to do these jobs, and uh, I think the uh, I think the old-fashioned way of uh, of having great scouts in the field and having uh, all the analytical information together. Is the is the way to cover all your bases and and to make the make the smartest most prudent decisions.
0: A lot of people have said that the impending free agency of Bryce Harper has really affected him. I don't know if that's true. It just looks to me, Riz, like he's been trying to pull everything, and uh, that's not that's not generally the Bryce Harper way. How is he handling this season, and how do you feel about how he's starting to come out of this?
4: Oh, I think he's handling he's handling the season beautifully. Uh, I, I, the the pending free agency hasn't affected him one bet. The uh, this the slump he's been in in the month of June. I think he's handled it with class and dignity. Uh, he's been a terrific teammate through it. Uh, and I've always told him, I said, when when you're going your worst, is when you have to be your best. And uh, he has certainly proved that in the way he's led this team. Even though he's, he's batting average wise, he's he's not hitting where he wants to hit. But you look at his other statistic. He's an impact player. He's I think he's in the top. He's in the tops and on-base percentage and walks and home runs and RBIs. So he's uh, he makes a huge impact on us. Uh, and uh, what I, what I think that goes on under uh, the radar is is what he means to this team and to this franchise. He's a, he's a you know, 25-year-old player, but he's uh, he's one of our leaders and uh, one of our guys that are, are uh, the most vocal as far as far as leadership roles go. And and I think he's handled it. He's handled it great. And, uh, I love the, I love the people who, uh, who break down his swing and he's trying to pull too much or he can't hit the high fastball from the fourth, fourth deck in the, in the stands and, uh, and tell him Bryce Harper, you know, what he's doing and how, how to hit. And, uh, you know, uh, I always say for, you know, the farther away from home plate you get, the easier it is to play. And, uh, you know, these guys are the 750 greatest players in the world, as far as baseball guys go. And, uh, and Harp is uh, in the team photo of the, the handful of best players in all of baseball.
3: What has the return of Adam Eaton done for your team?
4: Well, he's he's a grinder. You know, he's, uh, he's a guy who sets the table for us. He sees pitches. He's a 300 hitter. He's he's a, he's a great base runner. He's a, a huge baseball IQ guy. And he gives us some edge. He gives us a, a an edge on the bases, an edge at the, uh, at the plate, an edge in the field. And, uh, and his, uh, his his hard nosed personality really rubs off on other guys, and, and his energy level really really lifts us. So he was a huge he's a, a huge guy when he's not playing for us. It's a it's a huge void and hole in our lineup, uh, which we've been trying to fill uh, since his absence. And uh, we couldn't be more excited that he's back. And he's really starting to get uh, his his uh, D legs back uh, at the plate. He's put a lot of good swings on the ball the last three or four games, and uh, we're looking for, for him to, uh, to really uh, jumpstart this lineup that needs jumpstarting.
0: You've certainly had your share of injuries. Uh, it's, uh, you know, it's not exclusive to the Nationals, of course, but you, you've had your share. Uh, how is it starting to come together, and how are you feeling about your second half?
4: well we you know we're looking forward to getting guys back we've had you know we've had sixteen of our uh of our opening twenty five that uh, have been hurt some of them for long extended periods of time uh you know our uh yeah it's really it's really been uh a a test a testament of our organizational depth uh which goes to scouting and player development now we've we've brought forty seven players uh on the uh into to the big leagues this year and uh, that's a credit to, to our, our scouting and player development staff. That each guy that we reach for has some kind of positive impact on, on the major league roster. So it's a testament to our franchise. It's a testament to uh, the way we do our business here. And uh, and it, you know we're, we're looking forward to today. We we get Zimmerman and Adams and Strasburg and, and Weeder's back. Uh, you know we just got Adam Eaton back. You know Rendon's been on the DL you know this season for a while. So. You know, we're uh we're looking forward to get to getting healthy and uh and you know when we do i think you know teams are going to pay and uh, i think our best our best baseball is certainly ahead of us uh this season and uh and I, I'm, I'm looking forward to you know getting through to the all-star break and see if we can get some of our reinforcements back after uh, after the uh the break is over
3: and Mike, before the season started, it was easy. We we know that we knew the three teams that were going to win the three divisions in the NL, and uh, and baseball was all figured out. But then baseball happened. Of course, you know it's never that easy forecasting a season. Are you surprised how many teams are in the mix halfway through the year for the NL?
4: I, I'm really not. You know, we as as we looked at as we looked like the landscape of the National League. You know, we knew the Phillies were going to be a vastly improved team. We knew we knew the uh, we knew the Braves were going to be a vastly improved team. Now we see these teams play, you know, 19 times a year. We see them in spring training, you know, all the time. So uh, you know, we knew we knew our division was going to be much much more difficult than it has been in the past. Uh, and uh, hey, you know, winning's not easy. It, winning winning in the major leagues is not easy. There's a lot of smart people trying to win and and trying to uh, trying to beat each other and uh, and the, you know the. Uh, the, the the threshold of, of, of the razor thin threshold of, of winning and losing is so thin uh, these days and uh, you know it's it's who, you know what, what team it's not who you play it's when you play them when are they hot when they come in and are they cold when they leave so it's uh, I, I think there's there's been no surprises to us as far as as far as the amount of of, of good teams in, in the National League and the National League East. Uh, and uh, you know we're looking forward to uh, to competing against them, and uh, you know down the stretch, and it's a long season, and we're we're about halfway through it. And uh, like I said, our best baseball is in, in front of us.
0: Riz, before we let you go, and we certainly appreciate your time today, as always here on Hit and Run. Uh, when I talked to you on Opening Day, the first day here in Chicago of the regular season for Theo Epstein, as they were beginning their rebuild. You uh you, you told Cub fans to be patient. You said they're doing the right thing, they're doing it the right way. It's a program you had been through yourself and uh obviously it worked out for the Cubs. Now the White Sox are going through that, a team uh for which you once worked. What would you say to White Sox fans at this point?
4: The same thing. You've got a good group at the top, you know, doing you know, making the right moves and pulling the right strings. There's there's no shortcut to this stuff. If you want if you want a consummate winner, uh built from the build from scouting and development on uh on the way up and and excel at the big leagues and stay good, it's it's a difficult process. It's a painful process and it's something that uh, you have to be patient because there's no shortcuts to this thing. It's uh it's it's a uh it, it's a very long scope and a very big perspective. You have to have a global view of it and uh you know, I, I know Kenny and, and Rick and Jerry over there. They, they're they're good people. They've got good guys working for them, and and uh, you know they're they're making the right moves. But it uh, it takes time, and sometimes painfully it takes a long time.
0: Mike Rizzo, thank you very much for your time. Good luck in the second half. I'm sure uh, we will track you down again before this season is over.
4: My my pleasure, fellas. Thanks for having me.
0: Mike Rizzo. Washington Nationals, a general manager, built
3: a heck of a team in Arizona, too. He he started this trend that we always credit Cubs, Astros. Kansas City. It, It feels like half the league is trying to do what Mike Rizzo was doing years ago.
0: When he was offered the job, he said, I will take it if you will let me do it the way I want to do it, if you will let me do it the right way. We don't have anything here. We got nothing. So let's get worse. Before we can get better and ownership said, okay, whatever you need, however long it takes. And that's, that's what it's, that's what's necessary because you're going to need some patience in there. You can't just halfway through decide, all right, well, we're a little bit better and we got, we got Bryce Harper and we got, you know, we've drafted Harper and we've drafted Strasburg and we're getting a little bit better. Let's go spend a whole bunch of money and uh, fill out five or six positions on the field just doesn't work yeah. that way. If you're well, going to do it, you got to do it.
3: Yes, and that goes back to what White Sox fans were thinking. They, they thought they this year they would be further along and then in next year we can add in free agency. No, 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 no. That's not part of this process. And Rick Hahn has tried to tell you that.
0: And I, it's not next year either. I said I said this to you last week. This conversation regarding the Cubs took place on opening day of their second year. I don't remember who I was filling in for or on what show, but someone suggested, you know, after this season, this is the first day of year two, mind you. Mm-hmm. After this season, they're going to have to spend some money. Because, I mean, you're looking at that lineup, and it's dreadful. And we read some of the names last year. It's just horrible. Just horrible. They're going to have to spend some money. I was like, no, you're, you're nope. missing the point, Jerry. Nope. Jerry, you're missing the big <laughs> picture. It's gonna take, It's going to take more time and a lot more pain. And, yeah, year two, no.
3: Not happening. And, and next year, Avi Garcia's contract is up, so I'm sure they're going to be looking to move him now, hoping they can get something out of him the next month.
0: I want to mention something I saw from Avi Garcia last night when we come back. We have to finish that Cubs conversation as well. 1140 Scott Miller. Noon, Bruce Levine here on Hit and Run on the Score. Well, good luck with all that.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
3: We'll check in with Scott Miller in about 10 minutes. This hour of Hit and Run brought to you by Northwestern Football. The Wildcats coming off a 10-win season. Hosts Michigan, Nebraska, Wisconsin, Notre Dame, and more this fall at Ryan Fields. Season and single-game tickets are on sale now at NUSports.com.
0: And the bottom of the hour is brought to you by Whole Foods. It's not officially summer until you've fired up the grill. So whether grilling a juicy ribeye or fresh peaches with quality standards, you can count on Whole Foods Market makes it easy to show the grill who's boss. Whole Foods Market, whatever makes you whole. spelling mistakes in there. How many? I am shocked. That's Joe Ostrowski. I'm Barry Rosner. Oh, this word is was it. misspelled? Since you had to bring it up, whose is spelled W-H-O-S-E, as opposed to W-H-O apostrophe? Who is? Yeah. Yes. Kind of stop me for a moment. There. Okay. That's horrible. That, yeah, that's bad. Pretty bad. I mean, for here, <laughs> really, really, okay. Uh last night in the uh Sox Rangers game Sox are facing Bartolo Colon who's just dreadful. I mean just <laughs> just just god awful. People love him. Yeah, no, but I mean he he was particularly bad last night. He he couldn't he couldn't locate his fastball so he was trying to get by with changeups and he managed to get out of the first inning because of some bad base running. And then in the second inning Sox had a chance to blow the game open. And with the bases loaded and two outs and a 3-1 count, and he can't throw a strike, Avi Garcia swings at a pitch up and away and, and grounds to second. And that's the end of the inning. I mean, that's talk about situational hitting, not very pretty right there. It's also a play uh, where Leuri Garcia uh, could have helped make an inning bigger. But on a close play at first, he dives headfirst into the bag. I mean, run through the bag, you're safe. Is bang, bang. Just run through the bank. He stops and flies through the air. And he's out at first. Never I mean, understood look, you, it. what Never
3: understood it. Doesn't make I mean, any
0: sense. Not to mention, is it slower getting there? But you risk injury doing that. Chris mm-hmm. Bryant, how's his shoulder doing after the head first slide? Pretty good? Is that a good idea? I don't know. That whole head first slide thing?
3: I don't want to hear about the fact he's on a bad team. That's his own fault.
0: We've been talking about this for how many decades? And, and they still do it. Ask any manager, ask any GM, ask any team president or owner, since they're writing the checks. They don't like it too much when you slide head first.
3: Every rule in baseball is to protect the players. Well, the players have to do their part a little bit.
0: (laughs) That's a a very good point. That's a very good point. They've put in all these rules so that you you never have to get hurt again. We're going to protect you. You don't
3: even have to touch another player. No one will ever
0: touch you again on a baseball field. Honestly, you really don't. But you're diving in head first everywhere, breaking hands, breaking wrists, breaking fingers, jamming wrists, jamming shoulders. To be at this level. So you're showing you're grindy?
3: How many times? I know this is part of having a very young roster, but how many times this year have you questioned actions by players on the White Sox?
0: lot, uh, like every game, every game, pretty much, right? Yeah. And Renteria, to his credit, is trying. I know I mean, he, he is. addresses it.
3: So, should we ask the question: Does he have that locker room? Oh, or I th- is it
0: just youth? I I think he does. I mean, how many of these guys matter? How many of them matter? Well, it's I mean, we're lot. talking about Mankata and Tim Anderson a lot. Well, the, and those are the guys you got to stay on. That's those what are the I'm guys you have to stay on. Yeah, but he's. I mean, look. When they do things wrong, he sits them or he pulls them. And it's not resonating. Well, there's a learning curve here. I know. I'm just pointing it out.
3: I, I mean, mean we what, see this a lot.
0: What's your... What, I don't uh, have a conclusion. I'm, I'm not ty- saying fire the guy. Eli not... types up he hasn't sat Moncada. He's pulled him from games. He's pulled him out of games,
3: yeah. That's sitting him. Which is more embarrassing than not being in the lineup. Agreed.
0: Um. You know, you, well, you ask a fair question, but I, I mean, you have a limited number of tactics you can use, and I believe that he's been using them for the most part. That's the if, thing. How many times you go to that well? Also. How many times is Chili Davis going to call a, a hitter's meeting?
3: <laughs> you can't do that a lot.
0: Yeah, no, you can do that once a year. Yeah, right. I thought that was pretty interesting, because that was on his own, too. That was his idea, not Joe's idea. Mm-hmm. Joe said, Go ahead. Have at it. I mean, Joe's done his part. Joe talks about it every single day. How have they hit every... since? Pretty good. I'm not s- saying yeah. that's the reason. I'm just Well, I mean, you know what? They're human. Sometimes it's good to remind a human that they're they've gotten away from what you've asked them to do. It's not a terrible idea. All right, Joe, we got to get to a break. Uh, There's lots more Cubs and Sox stuff to do. we got Bruce Levine coming up top of the hour. We will get to a lot of those things with him. Coming up after the break, though, it's Scott Miller with us here on Hit and Run on the Score.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.
0: Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. Barry Rosner, Joe Ostrowski with you for another hour here, taking you up to Cubs baseball on the score. Right now, it's time to go national, so let's go out to the score hotline where we're joined by Scott Miller, national MLB columnist for Bleacher Report. You can also hear him on Sirius XM MLB Network, and you can see him on Fox Sports San Diego if you can see that. He's also the co-author of 90% Mental with Bob Tewksbury. We talked to Bob here on the show a few weeks ago. You can follow him on Twitter at ScottMillerBBL, and right now you can hear him on Hit and Run. Hey, Scott, how you doing? Hey, Barry. Hey, Joe. How are you guys? We're doing great. Uh, Explain to us now, a week later, after the Mets were absolutely certain, Scott, that they were not going to talk about DeGrom and Sindergaard. What is happening now? What do you hear, and what do you believe?
2: Well, I think, uh, you know, the the Mets have had a come-to-Jesus moment in the last week about how awful they are and how all of their plans are going south again. I think, you know, we saw... Sandy Alderson, the general manager and president, stepped down last week. He basically, um, I mean, I don't want to make light of it because he said he's stepping down to, he he dealt with some cancer several years ago. He says that's come back and he needs to get treatment and just concentrate on that. What I started to say, so obviously we wish Sandy all the best. He's a good, good man. Um, You know, I've known him for a long time, as I'm sure you have. Um, but where I said, I don't mean to make light of it at that press conference, Sandy also essentially fired himself. That that's where you kind of, you know, it also kind of piques your attention because Sandy, yeah, I can't remember his exact quote, but it was, you know, something like, uh, you know, basically after he said he's stepping away for cancer and then he said, I don't know if, that I'll be back. He said, basically, I don't know that I deserve to be back. Wow. Um, you know, he took full responsibility for the mess that the Mets have become. And so now they've got a three-man team sort of sharing general manager duties. Let me so stop these,
0: you for one second, Scott, before you, get, before you get to the specifics of, of who's going to yes. make the decision and what they're going to decide. And as much as Sandy Alderson ha- has made mistakes, that whole ownership thing is such a mess, and their finances are such a mess. How, m- how much of a role has that played?
2: Well, I think it's played somewhat of a role, no question. I mean, and and I assume when when you mention the finances are a mess, you know, that goes back to, you know, listeners will remember several years ago, remember that Bernie Madoff uh-huh. uh, Ponzi scheme and, yep. and the Wilpons, the owners of the Mets were very close with Bernie Madoff, and they got swindled and and so the Mets, um, I think their finances are better now than they were a few years ago. But, yeah, I mean, their finances became a mess, and, and, and you know, that affected who they could sign or not sign. They still put together enough money and figured out a way to sign, for example, Jonas Cespedes when he came back as a free agent, or or at least when he became a free agent. But, you know, you look back now and you think, well, you know, maybe for the Mets' sake, it's too bad they were able to scrape together money for Cespedes because he's been part of the problem as yeah. well. Um so, so the finances are a part of it. Um, also, the ownership. I, I mentioned three people filling in for Sandy Alderson right now. I think that's another symptom of the problems at the ownership level, that they just continue to make bad decisions because assistant GM John Rizzo and Omar Minaya, you know, two, they they've got three guys in there. And what you look at, I mean, when you're running a major league baseball team and you're going toward the trade deadline, you it's just a recipe for disaster when you run things by committee. <laughs> um, so maybe they'll figure it out, but I think that's another bad step where the Mets are concerned. Just put one guy in charge after Sandy, rather than we're, 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 we're having three guys step in as the GM and be the decision makers. So that I think could be a, a, a thing to watch. So to your question on ground, yeah, they've gone from this guy's an ace, and you know, uh, he's he's like a one eight five ERA this year, but he's only five and four, six and five. He's one game over five hundred, despite a sub two ERA, which is another glimpse of many different glimpses into how bad the Mets have been. But yeah, so so. Earlier, they said they weren't going to trade Degrom, and now after Sandy stepped down, this three-headed monster general managership now says, you know, hey, we need to we're going to listen on all offers. So whether it's Degrom, whether it's Cindergard, they're definitely going to listen. And if I think the Mets should trade Degrom because he could bring a boatload of talent back, he's the one guy they could trade get five or six pieces back, including you know you would think two or three of the some rivals' top prospects. So we'll see. But being the Mets, they'll probably fumble at some <laughs> right?
0: Would they trade in their division, and would they trade to the Yankees?
2: Um, I would think the answer to both of those questions is yes. Um, I don't think trading within the division is as much of a taboo as it once was. You know, a couple decades ago, two, three, four years ago, um, I mean, decades ago, decades, not years, two, three, four decades ago, it used to be uh, many teams wouldn't want to trade in their division because, you know, they wouldn't want that guy to come back and haunt them several times a summer. Uh, You could see that with DeGrom. I mean, say they traded him to the, and I'm just speculating here, but. If they trade him, say, to the Washington Nationals, if you're the Mets, you'd be like, oh, my God, we play those guys 18 or 19 times a year. So we don't want to have to face DeGrom five starts a year. But, again, speculating, if you could get, say, Juan Soto of the Nationals or even Victor Robles, who was their number one prospect before he got hurt and Soto emerged, you could get one of those guys. I think you have as part of as the main cornerstone of a multiplayer package. Then I think you, if you're the Mets, you have to consider it. So I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. I'd say the odds of trading within their division are are uh, doubtful. But again, if you can get a package like that, I wouldn't say the odds are zero percent. And I'd say the same thing with the Yankees. And you know, the thing I was amused by, you know, Brian Cashman, somebody talked to him a couple of weeks ago and asked, said, okay, you know, would you trade, you know, Glaber Torres, for example, I, on the surface, that's a ridiculous question because if, if, if the Yankees trade Glaber Torres, you know, you would think it's ridiculous. Um, but questions get asked and Brian Cashman essentially said, you know, well, I love this quote that it, yeah, that's a stupid question. Um, <laughs> To the question of Glaber Torres, you know, going in a possible the grab deal, Cashman <laughs> said, "Hey, I've got to walk around this town."
3: <laughs> well, Cubs fans are already queasy about what Eloy Jimenez is going to do on the South Side after that Quintana trade last year. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, spe- yep. Speaking of the Mets, Scott, uh, Happy Bobby Bonilla Day. One point one nine again this year.
2: Um, I think they're paying that guy for like the next hundred and fifty years. It's right. It's twenty thirty five.
3: Yeah, right. He'll just keep going. They're just so used to it. They'll just write that check. You know, as you were talking about the Mets situation now with three different guys, I I was just wondering, is that situation even worse than what's going on with Baltimore? They're going to try and trade Manny Machado and probably Zach Britton, and we don't know if anybody's going to be back next year.
2: Yeah, I mean, that's another messed up. You know, the Mets and the Orioles. Uh, you know, forget that glorious nineteen sixty nine World Series. They're, show, they're showing their showdown continues this year as the to the most inept organization. Yeah, I mean, the Orioles maybe they get out of this in a very fortunate manner and get a great package for Machado. But boy, on the surface, you look at it and you're like, how could they have possibly allowed themselves to get in this shape? Uh, what, to your point about doesn't look like anybody's in charge. Just a quick rundown for listeners. Uh, start at the top. Peter Angelos has always been difficult to deal with. Anyway, rival teams have never liked to deal with Peter Angelos, as you know, Orioles, because the you know the general managers you know say of the Tigers or the Padres or the Cubs talk to the Orioles general manager. They'll maybe work for days to get a trade set up, and then the answer then be, from the Orioles side becomes okay. We need to go take it up top to owner Peter Angelos. He never acts quickly. It, it, it'll be two or three days before they get an answer. Then by that time, the other team, if the answer is no, the other team not only is the deal done, but they usually can't go to their plan B or C team to trade because those teams have already moved. So it's it's like total – it's been total paralysis. Anyway, Angelos is older. uh He's not seen much anymore, so his two sons essentially are running the team more often than not. Now, that's the screwed-up ownership situation. Uh, General Manager Dan Duquette, last year of his contract, not believed to be coming back after this year. Manager Buck Showalter, last year of his contract, uh, very questionable, is he going to be manager next year? Is he going to move upstairs to the front office? What's he going to do? So you've got basically free agents to be at the general manager, manager level, let alone Machado, Adam Jones, Zach Britton. So where Machado's concerned, to me, guys, you had to either do one of two things. Either sign him to an extension because you recognize this guy's a once-in-a-generation talent. He needs to be an Oriole for life. You should have done that a while back. It's impossible now because of the fact that they've let it go this long Machado's three months from free agency. He ain't going to sign an extension now. So you've let this go way too long, which is why they have to trade him in July. Well, now that they have to trade him, uh, as I laid out, you're allowing a guy to shape the next five to eight years of your franchise with these trades and this huge Machado deal. You're allowing the guy to shape your franchise who is a short timer himself and isn't expected back after this season? So it, it, it's borderline neglect, organizational negligence.
3: Yeah, there, there's no question about it. Um, Red Sox Yankees tonight should be fun. You have David Price against Severino. Yeah, and, and for once, the hype is is actually there. It, it's it's worth something. Do you think that? We're going to get a hundred-win team, probably. That's going to be in the wild card and has a decent shot of getting bounced in that AL wild card game. Do you think there's a chance of changing any rule in the future about the playoff format after uh, if that were to happen?
2: Yeah, you know, I don't know if it'll be a direct cause and effect, but yeah, I I think baseball's quickly heading to a crossroads, in my opinion, because you know there will be a ton of outrage and outcry if, say, the Red Sox win 103 games, but the Yankees win the division. So then you've got a 103-win team in the one-game wild card and say they lose. Uh, There will definitely be a lot of outcry. But one of the flip sides, aside from the old argument, well, they should have won their division then and and not gotten stuck in a one-game playoff. There's that argument. But there will be a lot of outcry because part of the reason why we're going to be in this predicament, is because of all the tanking going on this year. The reason the Red Sox and the Yankees and Houston were on like a borderline record pace for number of teams winning 100 games. Well, why is that? Well, that's because you've got the White Sox rebuilding, you've got the Tigers rebuilding, you've got Tampa Bay, you've got, you know, Baltimore's awful. You've, you've got so many bad teams that the, the strongest teams in the league are cherry picking off wins. So, not only, I think, will that argument come down to the the should the playoff format be changed, but I think also it, the argument will, at least it should, involve what is Commissioner Manford going to do about a year like this where you've got a third of the league or more not even trying to win. So I think that the predicament you bring up exacerbates baseball's competitive balance issue. Um so then beyond that and this is another conversation probably for some future Sunday but you've got uh not just the pace of play today but you've got the ridiculous number of strikeouts, you've got the fact that baseball's become a home run or nothing game. By the way, that Cubs game yesterday, one of my favorite games of the year not because of uh, how hot it was. Oh my gosh, was that scary watching that. But 20 hits the Cubs had, 17 singles. I loved it. The old-fashioned rally was back for one day. Now it's strikeout or three-run homer a third of the time, about 32% of the time the last three years. At-bats and in strikeout walk or hit batter, the ball is not put in play about a third of the time. Tie that in with the 100-win team that could lose in a wild-card game with the tanking, with the competitive balance. there's some issues that need to be addressed right now.
0: Yeah, we talk about it every Sunday, Scott. He's Scott Miller, national MLB columnist for Bleacher Report. Final minute with you, Scott. As you look at the National League West and Arizona has a three-and-a-half game lead over both the Dodgers and the very surprising, at least to me, San Francisco Giants, yep. how do you think that's all going to shake out? And who is the first to make a big move among those three?
2: You know, it would be interesting because... Again, back to Machado. There's a lot of people trying to link
0: Machado to the Dodgers.
2: I'm not sure that's going to happen because the Dodgers do uh, they do not like to trade their top prospects. And you know, it's hard to blame them in a way because we've seen the last couple of years Corey Seager come up, Clay Bellinger come up, guys like that, Walker Buehler this year. But um you know, Dodgers have some issues, there's no question. They've also got a lot of depth, though, so whether, you know, Arizona doesn't have any, I don't think they've got the money to trade for Machado, and their prospects are thin, but a year ago, man, they traded for J.D. Martinez, and Machado could come in and do the same thing or more for the Diamondbacks, so, um, you know, Giants as well. Um, I I think it's, it's, I I think in the end, the Dodgers' depth prevails, and even with Corey Seager sidelined for the year, they end up winning the division yet again, but I like that San Francisco has uh, tried to go forward with veterans, of, you know, acquiring McCutcheon, for example. Longoria is out with that broken hand six to eight weeks, but they are going to get him back later in the year. So if they can just hang in there a bit, um, you know, Giants could surprise.
0: Scott, thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Could go on and on with this. We have many more things we need to talk to you about. So we will have <laughs> you on again soon in the upcoming weeks.
2: All right. My pleasure, guys. Always fun talking baseball with you. Take care.
0: Thanks, Thanks, Scott. Scott Miller, national MLB columnist from Bleacher Report. All right. Coming up next, Joe, it's Bruce Levine. We'll talk White Sox and Cubs with him here on Hit and Run on the Score.
1: Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it.